interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good morning. Today is Wednesday, the 30th of August, and my name is Scott Shera. I am Grace's dad, and I am convinced that one of the reasons God allowed Grace to go home early was to wake me up so that I could share what I've been woken up to with anybody who has ears to hear. And you know, my favorite part of the show is actually talking a little bit about my best buddy, Grace. And so we're going to do a, something that relates to our guest today because our guest is from Disney World. He's an employee of Disney World. And so that means there's a lot of people in costume. And so we're going to show a picture of Grace in costume first. So, Don, can you pull up the picture of Grace? with? So this is in her Chewy costume. So this is me and Grace with her Chewy outfit on. And then we're going to do a short video clip of Grace in costume as Chewy. So go ahead, Don. So Grace could be in costume better than anybody that I've ever met because she actually didn't realize that I knew who she was. So when she was out of her costume, she would pull her mask up and say, Dad, it's me. So it was it was always uh it was always a blast. You know, it was like having a 10-year-old running around your house every single day and every day was was just a joy with with grace so don can you please bring in nick hi nick good to see you hey scott good to be on thanks for having me on uh i've seen a lot of videos of your daughter and she was just an absolute blessing um i i, I was struck to tears when she was baptized and her sense of humor um and, <laughs> and her loving spirit um, but yeah, God uses some of these things in our lives to, to, to raise warriors. And, uh, thank you. Thank you for being the battle. We've had really a lot of good conversations and, and, uh, my heart is, is with you guys and your fight. Well, thanks a lot. Yes. So, so the audience knows Nick and I were introduced to each other, I think a little over a year ago, I think it was last July and we've had multiple conversations uh, I've used Nick as a sounding board when times that's like, what is going on here? And he's done a great job as a sounding board. And so I'm going to do, do I'm going to try to pronounce his name with, he gave me a little clue ahead of time. So Nick's last name is Caturano. 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 And yeah, and a lot of people get it wrong, but that's perfect. That's, that, that's really good. And yeah, I think I think that's what me and you had is we were really like minded. I mean, with so many people in the freedom fight, there's a lot of other things in their mind. I think they build brands, um, they get caught in the trappings um, and they 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 start out by risking everything to take a stand. But I think as they go forward and they start to build a brand, I think they build their actions, their words and everything on on what the risk to the brand is, is what I've noticed. Um, and, and, I, and I think two, uh, two of us are, are like-minded in the sense that none of those other trappings are enough to hold us. We need to get to the truth of the matter and, and, and 
you know, it's it's for the absolute truth. And by God's grace, no pun intended, um, but it fits very well. We we really need to, to to get accountability and we need to prevent this from happening to anybody else going into the future. Um, and right. I think we're, we're, we're absolutely aligned in that. Right. Absolutely. You're you're spot on. Don, can you bring in the picture of Nick with the governor? All right. So this gives you a flavor for what Nick's been involved with. And he was on the program with Laura Ingram and uh, pretty impressive, pretty impressive introduction to his bio. So Nick has been an 18 year Disney cast member and he turned activist as a result of mandates. He's a medical freedom activist and a Christian activist. And so, Nick, can you just give a little bit of background? I've called, by the way, I'm calling this this program today. The title is What's at Stake? What can the average person do to fight back? And, you know, what's at stake is going to be the lion's share of our conversation. But the average person, you and I are just average people and we're fighting back. So we're, you know, I want to start out with the story about what got you into this. But if you want to give a little bit of background about yourself first, and then we'll get into the story with Disney and how you got into the fight and where things are at today. So go ahead. You, you know, if, if I go way back, I, I had a biblical grounding, but I, I strayed for a lot of years. I was a good prodigal son. Um, as I got my life together and, and, and married my lovely wife, uh, I, f I found that the only way to keep our, our marriage solid was was putting Christ first in our lives. And and that began our 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 walk of, of real faith, you know, living faith and applying it day to day. Um, I, I've been with Disney 18 years now, maybe approaching 19 years. Um, I was always involved in people's lives uh, on a private, you know, personal thing. I, I always I, I approached overall live and let live. I didn't get involved in, in trying to tell people how they should be living or what have you. But when I found that that, that Disney itself was really adopting a corporate attitude that used to take care of their cast members so that they could take care of their guests, they really went towards the bottom line and they were treating a lot of their older workers uh, with a lot of disdain and, and pressuring them. And the, uh, there were a lot of things that, that were really unhealthy for the work environment. So I just started becoming an activist at work on my own. Um, and I was able to take care of a lot of things because at first there were a lot of people at, at the upper tops of Disney that once I was able to reach out, I would get things done. But I found out over time that the people that moved up to the top were the people that didn't care anymore. And I think that was by design. Um, it was those people that were going to toe the line of whatever this uh, now what we're seeing. It's it's kind of barren fruit um, that those were the people that were going to go up. So when you were reaching out to them, you weren't getting anything done. And even though I had a conservative leaning, I, I ended up reaching out to the union because I needed more firepower to, to do the activist work I needed to do. And uh, I rose within a year or in a few months, I rose right to the top and I was negotiating with Disney directly. And, and I was really being effective in helping people in their lives directly. And I could I could mentor a lot of people. There were young people that were making stupid mistakes and I was able to save their jobs and negotiate with, with leadership. And so I, I really felt it was worthwhile work. And, and then I can counsel them in the back, like, look, hey, I'm going to keep, I'm going to get your job, but don't keep goofing off, you know, straighten up and grow up. And I, and I really valued those things. So when the pandemic came, there were all the lockdowns and, and, and I was watching it. I, I, I was a little skeptical of everything. 
Um, but I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, people were in Florida. They were out of a job. We started a food bank with the union. We went from feeding 200 families a week to thousands of families a week. Um, and that opened up press from around the world that were showing up, um, especially in the state of Florida. And I started doing press. And 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 in the, in the process, I saw the lockdowns. I saw vaccines rolling out. I saw the riots of the summer where we were locked in our houses and people were allowed to riot. And the whole time I was praying, saying, Lord, what I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what to do. And I, I felt like this urgency. I knew things were going really bad fast. Um, and I remember telling my wife with all the interviews, I had people from other parts of the world coming to interview us at the house and CNN coming to the house. And I, and I said, I think God's preparing me for something because I don't think this is it. You know, and that was my first little inkling at it. Um, and then when when the, the the mandates unfolded, you know, and and I felt God had telling my spirit, it's not yet. Don't just hold on. Keep preparing. Keep studying. Keep learning. During the process, uh, we we learned about you know quercetin, zinc, black seed oil, vitamin D, all these things. And in that first wave of COVID, everybody that was getting sick around the country of people that we knew and family and friends of, of friends of mine, we would send out, my wife and I would send out care packages to people. And none of them ended up in the hospital. None of them died. Um, we had one friend who called me late into the process. We send it out and, and, and she ended up in the hospital, but she survived. So we knew that this was not as scary as it was being purported to be because there were natural things that could be done for it. Right. Um, when when the mandates came, I got a call from union leadership and they they gave us, you know, the mandates are coming and the union's position is we don't have a right to get in the way of what Disney wants to do. And that didn't make any sense because that's what the union's for. If I have if I have a stance, you're supposed to defend my stance. I sat there for 45 minutes and said all the reasons why I thought the mandates were wrong. People should have a choice, but there's no way that they should be mandating these shots for X, Y and Z. Um, but they were going to steamroll. And I said, there's nothing we could do about it. But by God's design, the very next day, my wife would get COVID. Two days later, I would end up in the emergency room with a heart rate that was exploding 150, 160 for six, seven hours. I ended up at the hospital. And I didn't know what was going on. It turned out to be a positive COVID test, uh, high fevers, aches and chills. And after another seven hours in the emergency room, I finally saw a great, nice doctor, young doctor comes in and say, hey, I had pre-existing conditions. He was concerned. He said, "You're there's nothing we could do for you. Take Tylenol. They gave me IVs to slow the heart rate. Go home. When you go in the crisis, we got this, this drug. And, he, and I, I didn't even hear it before, but he said it was remdesivir. Um, and thank God they didn't give it to me then. And for whatever yes. reason, why they didn't choose to, to hold me, I don't know. And I thank God for that. But I went home and I remember walking to the car. My mom was a, a nurse for 32 years, ran OR in clinics. I had family in medicine. Never before did I hear somebody with a diagnosis, high aches, uh, fever, chills, and they just basically told me, go home and go into crisis, that you're surely going to crisis when you do come back and we got something for you. Didn't make any sense. So as I went home and my wife was getting worse and I got concerned, I was able to get a hold of my doctor and he recommended ivermectin, a steroid, uh, a Z-Pak. Arethromycin, um, and and we couldn't get anything else but ivermectin that night, and that was before they started stopping people from getting it. I didn't know about ivermectin, but when we finally got it, two hours later, my wife's chest was opened up. I was feeling great. Two days later, we were perfectly fine, and I was amazed. Like, why doesn't everybody know about this? And that was about the time Joe Rogan got sick 
within the within the same week, I think. And then you know they claimed it was horse dewormer and they demonized him. And then I started really digging in. And as I really dug in and I looked at the suppression of early treatments, I looked at the incentivized hospital protocols with remdesivir. I looked at the fake PCR tests that were going on. And I was talking to a lot of people that were first responders that were giving me some inside information. I had no conclusion that I can come to, but say they're killing people and they're knowingly killing people. And, and maybe a lot of people are just going along with it in the middle, but it was really obvious. And, and I, and I, and I, and I had the debate, you know, with the mandates, was I going to create a vac- fake vaccine card, which I was, I knew how to get those, or was I going to have to take a stand? And it was Ephesians 5.11, Scott, that said, have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And I went into war mode. And I wrote an open letter to Disney. Um, I had some friends at CDF, CCDF at the time, um, and uh, I had just met the organization. And I said, I don't know what I could do. I made all these press contacts. I'm going to write an open letter. I'm going to go stand on the corner by myself if I have to. And and that got me into the fight. Um, and that led to my website, GoofyVaccine.com, with my friends over at CDF, uh, uh, Citizens Defending Freedom. Um, and that launched my fight, which has evolved from mandates to discrimination, to all things woke, um, and and everything else, and has brought and the silver lining is meeting all the amazing people that have rose to the occasion to to take this battle on. Um, but there was nothing special about me. It was just I I just felt a call to duty, and when I understood what was at stake, and I ha- I'm a man of faith, and realized that my eternal life is guaranteed. Why was I going to be scared of people? Why was I going to be scared of losing my job? Why was I going to be scared why they were killing people and lying to people? Um, I just felt the responsibility that I had to do something. I didn't know what, and I didn't know what it was going to evolve to, but um, it turned out that God used me pretty effectively, um, and I'm still in the battle. So, you know, that's a fantastic backdrop. Thank you for that. I'm curious as to where things are at today, and has there been any threats from Disney to terminate you or, you know, what, what does it look like today? Disney has to me personally, besides the breach of freedoms and, you know, all those things I can go into that was general. I think, I think if I comparatively look at how I was treated compared to a lot of other people in different locations, I was treated excellent. Um, even though they forced an N95 mask on me with a warning sign and face shield, made me stand out with the unvaccinated who were getting COVID and ended up in the hospital. Um, they get to take their mask off. You know, they separated us. And and um, but me personally, I've been left alone. I don't know what the reason for that is, and people speculate because I've been so vocal on so many fronts. Um, but maybe being very public early on um, added the shield. Um, and we were able to organize two lawsuits, one over the mandates, and now with our attorney, Rachel Rodriguez, one over the discrimination. Um, but they left me alone. But other people haven't been as fortunate at Disney. And it was never about me. You know, right. being on the topic, Scott, I, I was really mad early on when I saw these people that had bigger voices like ESPN analysts and, and, and stars that were resisting the shots. When I came forward... People were reaching out from the studio worker. The workers were the 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 medical people that in these studios, um, people that were just in call centers in Illinois and Ohio that never ran into a manager or another employee personally, but yet they were still being forced to take the vaccine and lost their jobs as a result. I felt a responsibility to do it for everybody, but I was really frustrated by 
the people that had an audience and a voice that could have locked arms with us and been a part of us and made us all stronger, they chose right. to just represent themselves. They were, it was all about them. And recently I got a call from somebody that knows one of these people saying, have you talked to them? Do we need to hook up? And I couldn't help but be passionate and upset with those people because why? They knew we were out there. Why didn't you lock arms with us? Why didn't you make this a bigger voice? Because Disney is like the corporate Goliath in the world. And we could have taken a bigger stand against Goliath together. Um, but many times I have found that people have not collectively their motive wasn't to fight for each other. It was just to to stand and say, you know, almost like, look at poor me. I'm the victim here. And that that kind of that mentality has really upset me. Yeah, I I totally understand. Wow. What I want to do, I'm going to have Don bring up a clip. And this is your clip from when you went to Senator, Senator Burton's office. And to ask, it's just ask a simple question. It's, it's really well done. But I want you to focus on, Nick, the last, there's uh, like the last maybe 10 seconds of this clip. There's a very specific word that you said that I'm going to key on when we come back. So, Don, can you play that clip? Senator Burton? Committee. Are you the eight? So we're from Disney. Uh, I'm sure you heard of the bill SB 222. So our, our real, I don't know how they've addressed it, but I noticed that she filed the bill that specifically is limited just to COVID-19, which almost makes this thing obsolete. There's really no protection. So we got blindsided with COVID. Doesn't mean the next thing's going to be COVID. And I just don't understand why she wouldn't support a bill that's going to be broad and robust. It's not that she doesn't support it, it's that this so it was the governor himself that did it. Oh, wow. Is there, wow. Like, what do you say, the governor himself? The governor the brought forth the bill. The bill that uh, doesn't, that only says COVID-19? Are you filming? Yeah, I am. Wow. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. What do you think about that? It was we're it's just hard. It's disappointing. I mean, we love the governor, um, but we don't understand why he would limit it. I mean, the only only thing I could think of is just the lobbying pressure, the pharmaceuticals, the money, the big money is getting in line somehow and putting the pressure on. Uh, governor, don't do this. So did you hear the word? It said you said the only thing I can stink of. I thought, oh my gosh, is that that was just perfect. So was that a slip or was it on purpose? That's a slip. You know, I, I, I'm pretty calm and collective. It sounds, it looks like, but every once in a while, I'm just, you know, I'm, this is not my wheelhouse talking like that. And, and just, I was actually pretty floored at the moment because I was very supportive of the governor. Um, I've done, I had just done a press conference with him over at Reedy Creek um, where they allowed me to speak for like six minutes freely. And, and I said a lot of things. Um and, and so I was very supportive of everything. So we were signal. it was signaled to us that he was gonna support the broad bills, SB 222, a bunch of firefighters and, and creators of the bill were in his office just a month prior. And it was very disarming when we discovered that he was the one that put forth the bill and they later denied that. Um, but that was the bill that passed and the other one never made it through committee. So at that moment, I was just, I, I, was, I was struggling with, I, I, I didn't want to jump to conclusions. I didn't want to uh, attack the governor. But I also, if you, if anybody goes back and looks at the clip, I, I made an open call to him, like, don't do this. We need something better than this. Um, and the bill that we ended up getting, SB 252, was just uh, 
it was wide open for so many abuses and and we're we're working on still amendments but we we really did a big effort to push back but stink yeah that was a, a freudian slip uh so maybe that maybe that's how how it is because the whole thing stunk um yeah, but, but I, I i didn't mean to, to do that well i thought it was great i thought oh my gosh you're a professional if you were able to to, no, to no, no, no. so no. you know the whole clip by the way for anybody listening all the clips will be in the show notes so people can listen to the entire clip you know i'm segmenting them out for the purpose of this interview but you know in i want to give the flavor that you because you you've done some things or attempted to do some things and have been involved with the legislative process and efforts in florida i have chosen to not go on that um line of reasoning because the i don't think we can legislate morality which i know you agree with also but you know i'm furthermore you know for example with grace they put an illegal do not resuscitate order on her so how can you firm up that law they're going to violate the law anyway and then your recourse is suing them which is near impossible anyway i want to just talk about your experience with the legislative process but then have you dive into what is really i think is is the the message that people have to take which is to the sheriffs the sheriffs are the lesser magistrates so when people are not doing what they're supposed to do we can go directly to the sheriff so anyway your comment yeah there. you know i'm new to the whole legislative process and it was a lot more complicated than i i realized and and a lot darker and controlled than than anybody would want to hope um I found, you know, I, I, I busy myself with everything um, because I find that if you, a lot of it's messaging. I agree with you. I think you can't legislate morality, um, but I think you, you can put, you can put guardrails and make it harder for people to do these things. I think with it, when, when darkness kind of prevails, it's easier for people to feel safe just following orders or doing these things that they do, like they did the DNR on your daughter. Um, so I, I really think that part of, of, of the legislative push is messaging and just making people aware because we're a lot of, able to get a lot of attention, press, interviews. And it's also a coalescing force where you're able to get people together on these ideas um, because a lot of times they lose momentum. If you don't have something to fight for, um, it's easier just to get caught in the daily grind and people kind of go back to their lives. So I, 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 I keep right. finding these initiatives, whether it's legislatively, whether it's, it's a lot of other things. We've done press conferences. Um, we've done call to actions. We've done rallies. And I find it's important to keep people engaged because I've even had so many people to say, Hey, this is this is old news. Now we're dealing with, you know, we're dealing with the transgender push and the kids push, you know, get get on with things. And I'm like, no, I can't leave the past behind, because if we don't hold accountability, they're going to do this again and do it worse. And you cannot you cannot right. let it get normalized and you can't let people forget about it. So a lot of that is part of that process. And it's also a part of holding the legislators accountable, um, because I think if we step out of that arena, they are themselves going to get worse by default because there's nobody holding their feet to the fire. There's nobody shining a light on it. And it's, it's almost a losing battle in many ways. But again, and as me and you have discussed, but there by the grace of God. And I just, you know, I do everything trying to hold that God is sovereign and I'm trusting him in the process and I'm, and I, and I'm accepting whatever he wills is going to be done, but I'm trying to put irons in all those fires. You know, I think in Ecclesiastes, yeah. he says, you know, cast your bread on many waters. Um, 
as and as we did the push, uh, I was working with Scott Colley out of Collier County and his wife, Jill, uh, who were able to pass a resolution that mistakes were made in dealing with COVID. He teamed up with Karen Kingston and I started working with Karen Kingston, Dr. Richard Schroeder. Uh, there was a, a other other doctors in the area that were very instrumental. Um, and we were focused on draw, drafting a demand letter that would go to sheriffs and also getting the vaccine injured, uh, getting them to go in and file complete complaints to, to show the pervasiveness of it, because I know so many of the vaccine injured. Um, in the process, for your listeners that may not know, uh, Karen, the, 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 for one, the, the main issue, we had one sheriff in Collier County that was working with us, and he told us that what we needed were the vaccine injured to come in um, and to file these complaints so that we could investigate. Um, but the demand letter was pretty airtight and pretty strong, and it caused a maybe a bit of a panic. Um, but that sheriff said, hey, there is a grand jury. Governor DeSantis issued a grand jury for the vaccines to investigate the vaccines, and that grand jury is still paneled. So the the feedback, and I'm not going to speculate on what his his real motives were, but he said there is a grand jury. So we are, I think the word was it was illegal for them to do anything in the meantime, or they were going to wait to see what the grand jury came up with. My problem with the grand jury is, and that, and that excuse is, the grand jury has been seated eight months. I think, yeah. I think it's, I think it's safe to say, hey, we see direct problems. So we should be halting these shots for now until we can give right you all the stuff. I think that's that that would have been fair, right? But eight months later and still doing this. Um, so the sheriffs have halted. I still have very influential um, citizens uh, that are connecting me with other sheriffs. And but it seems that it's pretty evasive. They're really not nobody's wanting to get into that political arena. And, you know, and I think Karen Kinston makes the, the point where Tylenol, you know, seven deaths down in the late 80s and they pull or in the mid 80s, they pulled them off. When lettuce has listeria or fruit or vegetation has these, they pull all the all they pull all the listeria. And we right. have a vaccine that has shown that is not effective, not safe, not effective, doesn't prevent COVID, doesn't prevent the spread of it. There's absolutely no reason to take these shots. And the risk reward with all the adverse reactions that we know about, which is up to seven and eight percent, should be enough to halt it. The flu vaccine down in, under the Ford administration, I think in the in the 70s, they had 25 percent uh, vaccinated. Um, they had 56 deaths and, and a bunch of adverse reaction. They pulled that stuff quick. And what's changed now in the, with this shot is so much different because there's so much control of media, government agencies, uh, programming, messaging, narratives, um, and fear uh, that that these even even these sheriffs are scared to touch this thing. Um, and I'm hoping that changes. And I'm I'm trying to reach out to them with the approach of, tell us what you need. To, to pull these shots or, or, or how we can work with you um, because maybe the demand metal was too strong, but I mean, what else do they need? It's all out there. There, you know, even in Florida, our Dr. Ladapo, our state attorney general said it's causing myocarditis. They're recommending against it for children, for men, I think for everybody now. Um, why are these things still out there? Um, and as I reached out um, in, in, as to somebody who was in one of these local organizations that they wanted to talk, I, I heard they wanted to talk to me. I called them and said, hey, we need to pull these things. And 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 we have now nine counties that adopted the ban the jab resolution that Joseph Sanso wrote. 
Um, and this person took a, offense to the idea of banning it because they felt that all citizens should have a choice. And I said, I agree with you. Everybody should have a choice, but it should be based on informed consent. And if people understood what's in these shots and how the EUA came to be and the suppression of truth and, and all the fear and everything, nobody would take these things in their right mind. Well, there was a disagreement and, and they said, well, the FDA, if that was clearly the truth and there was that data, the FDA would have stopped it. And I go, they're captured. And well, the media, well, I said, they're captured. Um, and I said, hey, I know seven or 8% of the people that have taken these shots. Now the data shows have adverse reactions. I know people that are so sick, they just want to die. Um, and that person said, literally said, well, I know people that are not. And 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 then and then I said, so you're okay with collateral damage of seven eight percent? And that person got argumentative and defensive and said, "You said that I didn't say that, but I'm not playing." And her reaction was, "I'm not playing God and who can take these shots or not." And in the same breath said, "Science, science itself dictates that this is the process how we figure it out. The polio vaccine had many injuries and many problems, but we got better with it." So she basically was saying, and the mindset, and I felt like I was listening to evil. And I think this person was probably a good person. And how they ended up down this rabbit hole, which many people have this mindset now, was that, hey, collateral damage is expected and accounted for as we evolve into medicine. And so seven, eight percent damage and people losing their lives and children being destroyed with myocarditis and deaths and athletes dropping dead right. is OK so that we can get to better medicine. And that sounds like somebody who hasn't been affected directly, because if their child, their grandchild, their spouse, their family had been affected, the people that say that are people that haven't been affected. And that's that's really the mindset that's that's holding us back from getting accountability. But the real problem is is that that's not how science work. The, we have an understanding that safety process, you know, I think Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has said, these things have never been safety tested and the EUAs can never be mandated. And yet we have all these protocols and all these things that have just been superseded and overrun and overlooked. And people think that that's because it's supposed to go that way. And that's, that's, that's a misunderstanding. And, it's a, and it just shows a lack of heart and a lack of empathy for your neighbor and your loved one, right? It says the law of Christ is to carry each other's burdens. That's what the law of Christ is. And if I'm watching other people and my neighbors being maimed, killed, destroyed, their lives and livelihoods are being destroyed, and I'm saying nothing, I'm not fulfilling the law of Christ. And if I'm not fulfilling the law of Christ, whose law am I fulfilling? So right. these, you know, these people are, are, are they, they have no idea the danger spiritually and, and even physically because it's going to come for them. They allow this monster to grow and to get fatter and this bully to get to get bolder. It's going to come for them and they're not going to be able to escape it. All right. That's that's right on. And just to clarify, RFK Jr. has come out and said none of the vaccines ever have ever been tested. You know, so it's a whole vaccine culture that this person that you just talked about they bought into a culture they believe that culture because they've also at the same time they meaning the cabal has got us to believe science is an idol so all of a sudden you start seeing science as an idol well then they can use propaganda to lie against us so then they lie about the science and so pretty soon you have somebody who believes they have the truth but they they really don't have a clue so they're talking as if they have truth, but it's all another on top of each other. 
you know, when you and I, I'm going to switch gears again here, Nick, when we talked about a month ago to set up this interview, we were discussing the frustrations with the medical freedom movement. And you touched on that just a little bit. I want to expand on it um, a bit more here in as to how you see it. I mean, I, I have become very frustrated with the medical freedom movement. In my perspective, I have a lot of details on it, but just overall, it seems like they don't believe the movement that they're in. You know, I believe this. And so I'm all in on it. And I know you are too. You actually believe what's going on. But I just I'd like to have your perspective on it. I think I think it's like politics. I think we assume, I, I just watched an incredible movie the other, uh, I finished again. It's one of my favorite movies. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Frank Kaffa, uh, uh, Gosh, Jimmy James Stewart. I, I can't remember his actor's name. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. But it was an amazing movie, and I think it was in the 50s. And you, it showed the naivety of, of, of a local citizen who was brought in as a senator through circumstances and had this vision of how politics work. And when right. he got there, he found out it was very different. And the people within the politics, is that scene where he's in with the senator, who was a, a, a friend of his father's, and he'd go, hey, this is a man's stuff. This is how it works. You you learn to compromise. You learn to, to go about it. It becomes sport for people. Politics becomes sport. And, and it's all about, you know, staying in power and, 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 and being allowed to make little changes, but everybody's still benefiting on both sides of the unit party. And I think that's expanded into the medical freedom stuff, where people are, are more worried about messaging and fit and, and fitting in with uh, with a lot of these other groups or people or the opposition um and and it's like the other side is is almost got you convinced that you got to fit your messaging you got to twist yourself into a pretzel fit into a box so that they could even consider listening to what you're trying to say about the free medical freedom and and the reality is they don't care how you're going to message it they just have you busy spinning your wheels. And it's just like the whole tolerance thing of the culture. We just want to be accepted, right? We just want, right. and they get you to lower your guard and they get you to give up ground. And they, and, and, and they take you, you think you're offering them a hand, but they eventually take the whole body. And I think that's happening in the medical freedom movement where People think that they're going to listen to us because we we message it just right so that they can listen to us. And and why people are being lives are being destroyed. People are being killed. People are being maimed. People are at home wishing they could die. They think it's OK to, to, to play the political game. They get excited. I feel many people get excited in, in the gamemanship of interacting and 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 they also getting in, in the power and the the prestige that they have um that and it brings money to people um i know people that are making a lot of money on substacks that that are, are are doing a wonderful job informing people about a lot of things but not getting people involved in the very actions that need to be done and as a result are not getting robust change that needs to be done so i think that's part of it i think people get into it for the right reasons and then they get involved in gamemanship they get involved in brand building their risk reward gets a lot different i think a lot of it's innocent because you build an organization and now you need to protect the organization for the greater 
greater good that you think you're going to be able to do if you could just grow and get these relationships built. Um, I, I find that with legislators. Well, we have to do, we have to build relationships with legislators. Nobody's approached them the right way. And I'm thinking, how much, how much more do we have to approach them? Because I think everybody now in their communities knows people that have been adversely affected by this pandemic presentation and all the evils that it provides. So I don't right. think, and and I think as a result of that, that's what causes the the division where I, I you know, I was calling, I, I, I was listening to different people. I looked at the reality and, and I, I presented it this way. If I take my car and I try to run over my neighbor because I'm in an argument with him, my car becomes a bioweapon. If I'm in a restaurant and I get into a fight with another patron, I pick up my fork and I go after him with a fork, they're going to get me as using that fork as a weapon. If you take a, a biological shot that has no benefit, doesn't stop anything, doesn't prevent anything, and has all the harm and adverse reactions that we know, and, and, and we can go deeper in it, that is a biological agent, and it is also being used as a weapon because it's being forced on people, just like remdesivir. We know what the remdesivir does. We don't need, and now the FDA approved it to do the very thing it harms. They're using that as a weapon. So now I'm seeing people online not long ago are saying we're losing, we're 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 losing the plot if we call these things a biological weapon. And I'm and I'm like, what plot are we talking about? What plot? And yeah. then everybody's fighting each other. Don't use that word. Use that word. And my messaging behind the scenes as I've been on these calls is like, you don't have to agree with my approach. If you have trouble with it, you can say, hey, that's not my approach for X, Y, and Z. But I, I understand why they feel so passionately about it. Here's my approach. You know, when I've worked with Karen Kingston and, and, and this group, we were approaching it from a bioweapon stand and nanotechnology, which I believe it is. There is a great group with Jancy Lindsay and Sasha Ladatoba and, and Peter McCullough is part of that group and a lot of other people called We the People 50, Dr. Renata Moon, and they're approaching the shots from the contamination aspect, which it absolutely has because they have not cleared out the, the E. coli um, during the process and there's a lot of contaminants and legally and medically those shots cannot be on the street just based on contamination. So I tell everybody, stay in your lane. You don't have to agree with me, but our common enemy is over there. Let's everybody take your cannons. Don't fire on each other. Fire on them. Give people the benefit of the doubt. A lot of us, like myself, I'm not a medical professional. I just use common sense. And I'm just I'm trying to address the elephant in the room, and I'm trying to stop more harm from being done. If I get it wrong sometimes, okay, publicly say, hey, I disagree with Nick. He's got it wrong. But, man, he's out there giving it all he's got. And we should show grace with dealing with each other in the medical community because we all need, and, and there there is grace again. And there's your daughter's name lives on, but we should be showing each other the same grace that is necessary because we're trying to fight together. And I think that should be the litmus test. Rather than approaches, it should be the litmus test is, are you fighting my freedom of speech? Are you fighting me as I'm fighting the, as I'm fighting the real evil? That should be the determining factor as, are you really in this fight for the right reasons or are you in this fight because you're trying to just uphold your own views or what have you? Because I think a lot of us are right and we're focused on different aspects of the same evil pie. Let's all put our cannons where they belong, which is the real problem. And, and, and on top of that, we all need to be uniting because I find in the state of Florida, as I've dealt with things legislatively and citizens, 
the same people that are against the transgender mutilation of children um, with the for the puberty blockers and, and, and the mutilation, the people that are against these terrible porn books that are in the schools, the people are, that are up for election integrity, the people are up for medical freedom and the protocol families and the vaccine injured and deaths. We can go on and on. Um, a lot we're all we're all we're all part of the same pie but we're divided because we have only so much limited resources as we're trying to draw attention to all right. these things i think we just need to support each other um and and to make each other stronger not allow them to keep dividing us into subtribes and and races they have us fighting on races and they and and they have us fighting on all these different aspects as they divide us um we're all fighting a common enemy and i think we need to wake up and realize that yeah, that's uh, yeah, and that common that common enemy is Satan. Yeah. And boy, you did a great job with that question. We're this next. I'm going to give you the next question first, but not have you answer it because we're going to watch a three and a half minute clip uh, where Cast Catherine Austin Fitz, uh, she's the former Assistant Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. She she really did a great job connecting the dots as to the ultimate satanic agenda, which is to control. And so she, I put together this clip had, and Don's going to play it to talk about snapping the control grid together. But the question then for you, Nick, when we're done is how do we get to this point of deception in literally everything? So Don, clip, please. This is a complete control system. It's not just a complete financial control system. It's a complete control system. We know, and they've said, that they want to install chips in human beings. We see Elon Musk talking about putting a chip in the back of your head as though somehow that's a fashionable idea. But essentially, this is a slavery system. And if you look historically at one of the reasons that the slave trade was stopped, it was because you couldn't collateralize humans. Um, you couldn't, you know, if a plantation owner sold a slave west, the banks couldn't prove that that was their collateral. With digital technology and chipping, you can. And it's very interesting, you mentioned John Titus, after he wrote The Going Direct Reset, which did a fantastic job, I asked him, I asked him to write a wrap up on CBDC. And I told him that they weren't planning on collateralizing CBDC with gold or oil or even food, although they need to control food to do a CBDC. Um, but I said they were going to collateralize it with humans and it was going to be a slavery system. And, you know, John thought I was being a little over the top, even though I'm not usually accused of being over the top. Anyway, but he came back after he started to write it and he said, oh, my God, you're right. And when once you get CBDCs with an, uh, an authentication system or a, whether it's a digital ID or vaccine passport, once you get those things, we're talking about reducing the human race to a slavery system and you know whatever liberties we've enjoyed in the west or in the united states they're over and here's your problem you're the bankers and you're trying to implement total control and yet if you look at the functionality and value they add we don't need them in other words sovereign governments can issue their own currencies private parties can also issue currencies bank can issue we don't need the central bank in a digital age you don't need central banks and their problem, of course, I think, is if they don't go to complete control, then, you know, they're going to lose control. And if you look at sort of the load that that or the the amount of value they extract from the economy, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to have them anymore. So 
so now here's the problem. If they push for complete total control, I mean, total control where you're a slave and you're chipped and you have to do everything they say, you know, people will literally say, let's get rid of the central banks. And we have the power still to do that. So the question is, how do you, how do you persuade all the, you know, think of this as a herd of cattle. How do you persuade the cattle to stay in the control grid? You've put up three sides of the corral. How do you snap that last part of the corral in place with CBDCs and vaccine passports without them, you know, stampeding out of the corral? Because there's, you know, there's a tremendous number of them and very few of Mr. Global. So how do you keep them sort of dumb and happy as the control grid snaps into place. And the way you do that is by all the things you do to snap the control grid in place. You don't say, oh, we're snapping a control grid in place because we want to take away your assets. We want to take away your freedoms and we want to, you know, we want you to be slaves. What you say is, oh, there's a problem. There's an invisible enemy and it's not us bankers sneaking up and controlling you. There's a healthcare crisis and we need to do this and this and this and this and this. And everything we're doing is here to help you. So there's a lot there, but, uh, you know, if I asked an average person on the street, do you want to be a slave? They would say no. Yet they don't realize they are the boiling frog. 70% of our population is in the three sides of the control grid already. So the question is, you know, we got there through deception. So how did we, you know, how did this happen? What is your perspective? So uh, that's awesome that you added that video. And uh, hopefully the, there's the link um, in the description later for the whole interview. Uh, she's a, she, she really summed it up. Um, you know, my, my, my pastor asked me one time to preach for me. He was going to be out of town. First time I try to talk my way out of it. And, <laughs> and and that was like like a year year and a half ago and when my mom heard the sermon she just started laughing and laughing and she's and i said why are you laughing at me for she said because only you would go from genesis to revelation in one sermon and and, and try to cover it all and i said well i figured it would be my last sermon i ever preached so i had to get it all in there but but in, in all seriousness <laughs> I was, in all seriousness I was really focused on this is a bar battle, as you said earlier, between good and evil. And it starts in the Garden of Eden. And it starts with the idea. It and, and if people don't have if people don't have a biblical understanding, they're lost. There's just no way you can understand what we're dealing with without a biblical understanding. And that's what I think a lot of us right. had rooted in us. That's given us the will to fight when other people just don't know where to stand because they're standing on shifting sand and, and their house is not on a rock. But in Genesis, where it starts with where Satan tempts Eve, she says, "You will be like gods." That was the bait that That's got right. her to, to to take that that took the bait. And ever since then, you have seen man without God trying to be God, and you see it in the building of the Tower of Babel. Um, and 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 as those races were separated, you see it all along the way, where man, you you know, you saw you saw the epitome of it through Nero, where Nero has lost his mind and thought he was divinity. And 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 he was going after the Christians because that was the greatest opposition. And and you see it now with all these men who are self-made. 
Imagine making billions and billions of dollars through your shrewdness, through your lack of empathy, through you know, I mean, these people have d- built on the backs of people. Um, and and I have nothing against capitalism. I mean, real capitalism and, and its truest form, it has created the greatest wealth and 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 helping of people around the world in its right form, but to the abuses of it. Um, but you see these men who have made all this money who think, look at me. And they feel in you know, they look towards themselves as I did this myself because I know I've met a lot of them. And then they think themselves it's 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 really easy. If anybody has ever achieved anything in life, um, there's there's a movie that the gods must be crazy and where a Coke bottle drops out of the sky. And 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 a very basic understanding is this, you know, the Coke bottle is God or something like that. And and it just shows that human human the human understanding, you know, our all our, our righteous actors like filthy rags, and we really look at the human, it's really easy to be seduced into thinking you're a god. And that's what the whole transgender movement of, of getting these kids, if they can get these kids to be confused about the very identity and the very science of two genders, you have them on everything else because now you're stripping that away from them. And that's why these the, the the deception is these people think they're God. And now they look at all the world problems. It was the League of Nations first, then it was the United Nations. Since the forming of the United Nations, we've had wars consistently, right? We've had famines and everything else. They've had stopped nothing. But it's this continual idea of utopia is just around the corner. So the further they get away from God, the more problems they create, and they keep promising you that utopia is around the corner if we could just do these things for the greater good. So in right. their in their minds, they're true believers, and they have taken, you know, with the theories of evolution, they have unhinged a whole several generations from the idea of just an understanding of God. And they bought into this even now, you know, the modern DNA says evolution, evolutionary process is impossible. But when I talk to a lot of these college kids that take in biology, they still think it's absolutely true. So they have unhitched them from a biblical grounding. And now these kids are growing up with no anchors in anything with media, you know, where they have, they go to the colleges and they go, hey, who won the civil war? They don't even know who, you know, they ask them, who's the vice president? Who's the president? They don't know. Who did Kim Kardashian marry? They know all that stuff. So they you know, they created the media, the movies, all the distractions, all the, the sports. So they've created generations of people that don't understand our, our political process. They don't understand right from wrong. They can't tell. And, and, and biblically, God has said, you know, he's reached out in mercy to these people. In Romans 1, he says the things that are evident in, in nature that there is a creator and and then he says in Thessalonians chapter two, because there wasn't, a, they did not love the truth. God sends them a strong delusion that they will believe a lie. And then we fast forward into Revelation thirteen. If you think about, if you know about Daniel and the book of Revelation, Daniel, am I going too far and deep into this? No, you're doing great. Okay, yeah, I mean, so I'm I'm along for the ride today. This is great, Nick. Okay, so so if you're looking in Daniel, if you look at Daniel and Revelation, they they come and marry each other, and they help you understand everything in the Old Testament fits in the New Testament. If you understand your Bible, so Daniel, so the King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, has a dream, and it's a prominent statue of all these metals. Daniel has the same dream of the kingdoms, and they're a wild beast. So. Jesus said, the things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination to God. So as 
the king looks at his world kingdoms, he sees them as prominent. When the, the prophet Daniel has the same dream of these kingdoms, he sees them as wild beasts. If you look in Revelation 13 in the beginning, it's a composite of all these world beasts that it names in the book of Daniel, and that this beast system is, is all these beasts being a composite. So basically, all the kingdoms of the earth that are with without God are compounded on top of each other to create a composite beast. And then there's the, the, the dragon that gives power to the beast. And then we end up at the image of the beast that forces everybody who will not worship the beast to receive, to be put to death. Now, this, this image is giving life to speak and, and lead and to, to, to determine and I can make the argument that that's AI that's empowered this image of the beast. But that's what, at the end of the day, it's man without God trying to solve the world's problems as God. And as they get further away from God, they make the problems worse. So as you're seeing now in Canada and European uh, uh, countries, they're offering euthanasia for almost any reason. Are you depressed? We got euthanasia. Canada has now privatized. So now there's commercials for their maid system, which is a, which is assisted suicide. And you have a young girl talking about how it could be beautiful and it's very enticing in Hollywood where she's killing herself. So now you're vaccine injuring and damaging all these people that don't want to live. And, and not to, not to, not, this is not some conspiracy off the top of my head. There was an actress recently that went to a European country to get euthanized because of her vaccine injury and she couldn't live any longer. So they're creating the problems you're, and, and you're seeing the damage where you had in Ohio, the, the train derailment that didn't make any sense where they blew up the chemicals. We're seeing these fires around the world that make no sense. Um, they're destroying nature systematically. They're destroying our food system and our food supply systematically. And they're trying to get you in towards this, this really dystopian world where you don't really want to live. You're either going to fall in line and, and eat your bugs and do and, and live in this toxic world where they're going to give you the solutions medically and technologically internally so that you can survive in this world that they're giving you. And it's going to be like one of these Matrix movies almost. Yep. Um, and, and that's why people, they're buying in. Because once you take a little, you know, if, if you take a glass of water and you put a couple of drops of strychnine, the whole thing's full of strychnine. And once people drink this, this, this compromised view of what life is supposed to be about, it's, it's a, it, it divulges into this system that we now have. And, and it's just greed and compromise through all the systems. I mean, once people, you know, all these, all these systems that were in check, like the FDA, CDC, people exploited them and the people that moved up to the top and it created a, it, it created ATMs and power structures for everybody in all these systems. And those are the people that rose to power. Just like I said, at Disney, the people that rose to the power were the yes people that are going to do say yes to whatever's coming down the pike. And then you don't need a lot of people to fulfill this. You just need the yes people and you need the people that you've incentivized. Hey, I'm building a good career for you. You have your job. You're a newscaster. You're an influencer. You're a journalist. You're not going to get out of line because you don't want to ruin your life and you don't realize that you're kicking the can 10 feet down the road because it's going to ruin your life eventually as well uh in a nutshell that's what i observe and it's basically good versus evil and then when it comes down to it we're going to have to choose between christ and what's fulfilling the law of christ or we're going to choose the the image of the other one and it's the image of christ and as believers 
we're either being conformed to the image of Christ, as Paul says, or we're being conformed into the image of the other one. And everybody's making a choice by all their little decisions, their decisions that are omitting responsibility as well. Um, because if you, it, as, as I faced the, the choice to get involved and to take a stand, I could have fell back in fear. And as I fall back in fear, I think Paul says in Hebrews, shrunk back into perdition. We're not those who shrink back into perdition, right? But we are those who go forward by faith. And you go from faith to faith, and you are conformed and refined into the image of Christ, fighting for each other, surrendering to God, trusting his sovereignty, trusting his will in your, in your life, or you're falling into fear, and now you're being dictated everything you need to do. And once you give up one, you know, once you, once you step down and you keep complying, what are you? You're not what God created you to be. You're, you're an agent, you're, you're fear of man. And now that fear of man, you're being conformed into that image that they're giving you. Sorry, I'm long winded. I got a lot of thoughts on that. So, well, I do too. That, that was very well said. I mean, Jesus said Satan is the prince of this world. So, I mean, we're in the Antichrist system, which, of course, right. you know, you took it all the way back to Genesis 3 5, which I think is right on because that's when Satan offered Eve the opportunity for knowledge so that she could be like God. So the tree of knowledge is always competed against the tree of life. God offered the tree of life, but Satan offered the tree of knowledge. Knowledge has become the idol. And so then you combine that idol with the second law of thermodynamics, the slippery slope. And, you know, it's not a surprise that, you know, what we have. I do want to comment. You mentioned about the greater good. And then I'm going to ask you the last can, question. Can I, can I touch on the tree of knowledge really quick, which is another really important point? If I um, say no, are you going to touch on it anyway? Yes. Okay. Well, then let it rip. <laughs> that tree, the, the tree of knowledge, from all my understanding of theology and as I've, I've, I've studied, was basically, are you going to trust in the sovereignty of God? God gave them everything they needed. And he said, just trust me. I will give you what you need. Just like as we, as, as, as good parents in life, we tell our kids, there's a lot of things you're not ready to understand. Trust me. And I will reveal it and, and walk you through it. Where society without God does the opposite. We want to teach the UN is calling for five-year-olds to learn, and excuse me, learn how to masturbate because they think they should have all the knowledge before they're ready to deal with it. And that's the, the whole thing is God says, trust me. So when with AI unleashed and people are going to start trusting the smartest thing in the room and, and technology in the room, and they're going to put their dependence on that. Right. God's, God says, and I thought about that and I spoke with you on that. And I, as I got concerned and I saw the, the digital landlock that's going to happen to us with this technology all around us, God is the SI. He's the supreme intelligence. They're trying to copy him. They're trying right. to copy what God is. And man is trying to manipulate this really intelligent system that can think way faster than any of us could to solve problems and create the utopia, which is the dystopia. But God says, trust me. And that's where the only safety is clinging to him, trusting him, hearing his will in our lives day to day, because we don't need to solve the whole problems. We don't need to figure it out like man without God right. does. We okay. just need to follow his daily plan for our lives. And he's going to have the victory because he's already won the battle. That's all I got to say. That's right on. Uh, you know, so I just want to comment about the greater good. You mentioned that. And, you know, of course, I, I see that all around. In fact, 
my own research has shown the United States is the one leading the charge. You know, we'll point our fingers at the MAID program that the Canadians have. But if you look at Obamacare Section 1553, we were first to the punch. So, you know, that's where euthanasia in the United States is legalized. And they've convinced, uh, you know, for the most part, even the entire population that the spirit of collectivism, the greater good, you know, we should, everybody has a lifespan, the elderly, we put them in nursing homes, the disabled, we abort, you know, so that whole thing gets us into the business of eugenics and the greater good. And, you know, that that's, that's a whole satanic movement. And when you start, you know, it's hard to wrap your head around it because, you know, Satan has sold one lie that is, that is a very hard thing to, uh, to fight against, which is the lie is that we're inherently good. God says we're inherently bad. We can do nothing without him. But if we have been indoctrinated that we're inherently good, it is really hard to accept how evil things have become. So anyway, that's my my exclamation point on what you said. But you know, the last question I have for you before we go to closing is, uh, what can the average person do to stand up and fight against the evil? I think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm not the authority, but I could just speak from experience. Um, I think really the first thing you got to realize, and, 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 I, and I approach this from a different approach, but I've come to the conclusion that if you don't, I think Jesus is the answer, right? I think that's the only way to really get it right, to get your motives right, to get your leading right, to to follow, to do it in the right spirit. Because you get in, out into these battle zones and you're not prepared, there's no way you're winning. You're you're going to get wiped out. Um, the, the demonic demonic activity out there and the evil of it, it, it as as you start to unfold it and peel back the onion, it's it's too it's hard to bear to look at a lot of this stuff, and you need right. the grace of God to do it. So I say it starts there with you and 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 getting right with with God through repentance, um, accepting Him as sacrifice and and trusting trusting one He He's won the battle. Um, his promises are sure. He's going to carry us. He loves us. He's, he's a good God. He has reasons for everything going on, trusting in his sovereignty, even when we don't understand it. Um, and then I think you'll find that if you take that path, you're going to find that God already has all kind of things for you to do right in the circle of influence where you are. I yeah. think I think people look for the big things and they get overwhelmed. I can't do all those big things. But, you know, there's people in your neighborhood. There's people, if you will start, I, I heard one pastor say to one of my first pastors, he says, it's like being in a sailboat and it's a little windy out there and you want to go a certain direction, but your sails are down. You're not going anywhere. You start by putting your sails up and then you start working your rudder and you're going to go in that direction. Well, well, God wants you to put the sails up, put the sails up and say, Lord, I'm willing, use me as you want. I'm bought with a price. I'm here. I, I, I'm not going to fear man or fear death or fear anything. And you got to you, you got to resolve in your mind that you're willing to to do whatever it takes to win this battle. Um, and and out of and and motive should be out of love of neighbor and love of God and love of truth. And there's all kind of things for you to get involved in. There's all kind of things to support. Some people have some resources. There are great organizations. There are great people out there in prayer. Look for those things. Look for those people. Support them. Get involved. I, I my, my wife's a hairdresser and she has a lot of clients. One elderly lady uh, mentioned how 
how uh, worried she was for her grandchildren and everything. And I and I was on the speakerphone. I said, well, you know, you, you could you could call your legislators and write some letters about certain things because, you know, you're an older citizen. They'll respect your voice and you have experience. And she was too scared. She said, but then they'll know who I am. So here again, that fear at her end of her life wasn't enough for her own grandkids. And if people will just face those real fears and, and they're real and, and not to belittle anybody for all our fears, we all have them, but you got to face them and then you got to give them to God and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to move forward and then just get out there and find, pick up the burden, look for the burdens in your neighborhood for each other, create community, support each other in our efforts and do your, and, and maybe do a little due diligence. Because I think once you, most people are, are, are naive to the realities of, of the depths of the things, just in the medical freedom, just in the things, Scott, that you're fighting with the hospital protocols. I think if anybody would just do due diligence and spend a little time, spend half a day looking at these things. You will not be able to unsee them and you will not be able to come to any other conclusion that is not the conclusion that we've all come to. And once you once you come to those conclusions, you're going to you're going to be pushed in a direction. You're going to go in a direction because you can't unsee the evil and you're going to have two choices to make. Nothing shrink back in fear or step out in faith. And when you step out in faith, you'll be amazed what God can do in your life, the empowerment, the amazing people that you that you visit. And I want to also I want to send a message to the pastors and the churches that have failed us. Yes. Repent of your failure. It's God there is always forgiveness, but you need to repent of your failure. And you need to call your congregations to awareness and repentance as well, because all these people that were hurt as a result, um, and you need to join now lock arms with us in these areas and support and fight for true freedom against tyranny. And that starts on, on medical freedom. It starts on, on the basis of our Constitution and the things that we were based on that were God ordained and natural law and not in, 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 in this law of man. Um, and get involved locally. And I, and it starts locally. And again, don't worry about the big things that you can't do. Don't worry about presidential elections so much. Get involved in your local commissioner meetings, your school board meetings. Get, get, get your voices heard there. And let's start, you know, letting people see the, the, the voices, provide them cover to make the right decisions. And it starts there. And then listen, follow God daily in your daily walk. And, and, and you'll hear God's voice guiding and directing you which way you should go. Wow. I am really glad you brought up the call to pastors because, you know, that is one of the things I've seen in studying the parallels to the Holocaust is the Jewish leaders and the pastors of the time led the Jews to the gas chambers. And you know, the same thing is happening today. You know, people in congregations look to their pastors to leadership. And when those pastors shut down, take PPP, grants from the government, um, have vaccine clinics inside their churches, you know, and worse, you know, it's, it's no good. So thank you for that call. You know, yeah. Nick, as I, uh, Dietrich, if I may add, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my heroes um, yeah. that I always look to for 30 years now. I've been reading stuff on him. Um, and, and, and that was amazing to watch that, how that unrolled. And, uh, another word, one that people should look up, oh gosh, uh, Amazing Grace. There you go. Amazing Grace. But he was the one that stopped slavery in UK. And, and I can't. Wilberforce. William Wilberforce. Yes. Look him up. He did some amazing stuff. Sorry. Yeah. Right. No, that's OK. You know what? What I have come to grips with since Grace's death is, you know, 
how how programmed I have been. It's been indoctrinated with lie upon lie. And you know, ultimately I only know one thing. You know, I don't know much anymore, but I know one thing, and that is Christ died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, so that whoever believes in him, which includes me, can have oneness with the Father and have eternal life. I mean, that is that's the whole deal, people. And you know, if you don't believe that, time, you know, we're I personally believe we're in the days of Noah. I think it's urgent. Time is short. You know, we we have a lot to do in the time that God gives us that we're left on this earth. And I'm not, um, I want to have Don, he's going to play one more clip, Nick, and then we're going to come back to you for the final word. And I, I got my word. Yeah, <laughs> or the final <laughs> paragraph. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I, I don't, um, you know, the kumbaya type things are not my style. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm more action oriented and, but yet this clip was sent to me by somebody following Grace's story. And I, it's, it was, I think it's well done. So I'm going to have Don play that clip and come back to you for the final paragraph, Nick. Okay.
you know, my little stinker, she would say, don't worry, dad, God's got this. Um, you know, go ahead, Nick. You're yeah, I, I think that's a fresh reminder. I think of so many times where I'm reminded I'll pray about something and then all of a sudden, you know, later that day it works out or the next day. And I go about my business and then I'm reminded the Holy Spirit reminds me to be thankful. Yeah. And I rob myself of the blessing of gratitude. And I think people, it's 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 a practice thing. And and the practice is, you know, you you stay in relationship in the word and prayer. But I think so many people pass so many blessings. And especially as the world is getting darker, it's really easy um, to not see all those blessings. And that's what refreshes us as well along the way. So it's important to li live with a lot more mindfulness. And that's a great reminder. Um, I also wanted to touch as I close out is that a lot of us, they appeal to our sense of goodness. And that's how they really got us. It's it's to do, you know, do all these things for the greater good. People are inherently good. So nobody would dare do all these other things. Do it for grandma. Do it for the, you know, all these reasons. And that's really the sin on top of sin is that they appeal to our sense of goodness. And then they also conditioned us not to be confrontive, not to be combative, especially in the face of evil. And you think you're doing the higher calling of the greater good of love or loving each other while people are being dismantled and destroyed. Um, right and, and, and I think that's why it's so important for people to stop looking towards the experts or the TV personalities or whoever you're looking for, for your answers and look towards the truth and God yourself and do your own research. Be like the Bereans who searched to see if these things were true in scripture. I say, do that on, on all these other levels. And I would add, people are looking at these experts and I've been argued with these people know better and who are you? And I go, how about all the people like a Dr. McCullough or a Dr. Pierre Corey or Merrick, or I could go on and on who had all these credentials and were so well respected that risked everything to fight against the narrative those are the people you should be listening to because they risked everything that they had to try to spare us the agony we find ourselves in um so i i say that don't don't be fooled by personalities anymore satan transforms himself into an angel of light That's and these people and these people have learned how to do that and we can't look at personalities listen to actions use some constructive thinking um, I think people have lost their ability to critically think. Um, and that's a that's a tool that needs to be sharpened. We you can do it again. Just start asking questions. I question everything. Um, and, e and even my faith, I've gone back when I have questions, but I've questioned it enough that I know now that even if I don't understand, Lord, where am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. I stay put and he gives me the answers. And uh, you can have that too. Yeah, you, you trust him with all your heart. Well, that's uh, that's right on. You know, Grace. I think about Grace often with questions because she was she was fantastic. She would have said, relative to electric cars, where does the electricity come from, Dad? And so then I would have told her, and she would have said, Well, that's dumb. Why are people buying these cars? Though you know, it was just so obvious, right? But you know, people they complete well electricity. Oh, that's it's free, right? It's, oh my gosh, we've gotten we've gotten so sophisticated and we're so smart, and that's what the crazy thing is. These super educated people, they've been yeah, they they become I hate the word idiots, but they've been really dumbed down on on, on very basic things. Yeah, thanks thanks a lot for coming on today, Nick. Really Thanks. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I had a great time talking with you. Thank you. Me too.
for further details, we return you now to your regularly scheduled program.